Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us an industry veteran who I've known for a long time. I almost bought some property from him in right off Shaker Square in the metropolis of Cleveland, Ohio. And then we met, I think 20 years later, he's doing fantastic things in multifamily, been at it a long time, an expert. He is a repeat guest. He is the president and founder of the KRI group of companies back for round number two. We have with us Ken Gee. Ken, welcome back to Street Smart Success. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to being back. And I've been excited to talk to you because it's been, believe it or not, like a couple years. You may or may not remember, but you have a lot of things going on in your life. But when we met in between Cleveland and I think Akron for, I think at Denny's, I brought my my son with me. I do. He would learn something from you, but he didn't. But I, I blame him. <laughs> I blame him 100% for that. He, he, was, he was bored. So yeah. I, at that point, I've given up on him and have no hopes for his career. But, but anyway, I digress. No, I'm just, just kidding. He's about yeah. ready to graduate. But anyway, okay. we're not here to bore you or the listeners with this palaver. So it's been a couple years. What the heck is going on with Mr. Ken Gee and your portfolio and your acquisitions, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So uh, minor correction. It was actually Panera Bread. I, uh, I remember it well. Oh, and, my goodness. Uh, yeah, it was great meeting your son. So I'm glad that you brought him along. So what's been happening? Well, we, we, it took, a, I don't remember exactly when I was on last, but we, I mean, we went on basically, I call it a deal drought. I mean, we keep trying and trying and trying to find deals and we just couldn't find any. As a year and a half, we continued to raise our blind pool fund and thrilled to report that continued to go well. We finally got awarded into a deal. You know, I don't know when exactly this will air, but we may be even close on that deal, but we did find a deal in St. Pete. Finally, we're wrapping up the fund and getting ready to close that deal. So finally, after a year and a half, we have a good deal and uh, we're continuing to uh, try to find more. It's just super challenging. As you know, the buyer-seller expectation gap is just, it's still kind of wide, although it's narrowing, but uh, we're, we're just pounding the pavement here with the brokers and, and just trying to find a deal to finish deploying the capital in this fund. Who is the we when you uh, use that term? When I, well, when I say we, it's, it's our firm. I mean, it's, I'm not the only guy here. You've got about 35 employees between Cleveland and Florida. And uh, we're all kind of involved in the, the deal acquisition process and, uh, and other aspects of the business. So I, ne- you know, I never say I because I don't do anything here alone. There's just no way I could do what we do all by myself. Got it. Do you, do you have any partners in the business or are you the, the sole owner? Yeah, I'm the sole owner of the fund. We do partners and JVs occasionally with properties that we buy, depending on the situation. But yeah, this is, KRI is mine, 100% mine. And I'm proud of it, actually. You should be. What does KRI stand for? I didn't ask you that the last time. You didn't. No. no. Uh, and so it's, a, it's an odd story. Everything always is with me. 
So way, way, way back, 26 plus years ago, my brother-in-law at the time, his name was, his name was Robert. It was going to be Ken and Robert Investments. We did our first deal together, him and his parents. So I was partners with him and his, his parents. And after a short period of time, he, he got out. And so his parents bought him out. And at that point, here's the funny part. You know, I, I thought to myself, well, I've invested all this time and energy into this logo and everything else and the name. There's no way I could change it after six months. So I kept KRI. And uh, now we just, you know, we'll go with Ken and Ken's real estate investments. But that, that's how KRI started. Everything always has a twist to it. And, you know, we just kept the name. And he didn't last more than six months? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's unfortunate. That first deal, uh, his, his parents bought him out. And we each put in 35000 We each got back 100 after three years on that deal. So I, you know. I'm sad that he got out, but you know he he had his own you know he had his own agenda. So I think his parents were pretty happy they stayed in. Where was that deal? Shaker Square. Okay, all right. It, what, it was what, a place known as South Moreland Apartments, 28 units, just south of Shaker Square. When did you sell it? I sold it in 2000. Okay, bought so it in that, 97. Sold it in 2000. It was the very first property I ever bought. Got it. Wow. Okay, that was not the one I looked at because you and I met. I'm going to say. 2005, maybe something like that, which is not even incidental, but it, I guess it is incidental. So you started with the class C stuff. And I, th- and I know the deal that you just bought in St. Pete is new. Have you kind of migrated towards newer stuff or are you agnostic at this point? What are you looking for? Yeah. So we have to add value somehow, some way. So it, how you add value, it just depends. Sometimes it's physical improvements. You know, if, if you look at our Bradenton deal, we put a three and a half million dollar renovation project into that deal. We've also bought uh, Arbors and Garden Grove. That was another deal we bought back in 2016. Our renovation budget there was 50,000. So what matters is that I think there's upside, right? And so we do the homework on the rents, make, you know, we just, do everything we can to make sure that the day we close, we should be able to get the rents that we're projecting. That's our goal. And so somehow I need that upside. Whether I get it through management, whether I get it through physical, doesn't matter to me. It is always nicer to buy newer assets. Uh, that that I can assure you, because there's a lot less headaches with renovations and or whatever it is that you're going to do. But you know, we're we're looking for that opportunity wherever we can find it. Given those headaches, is there a cutoff in your brain or a rough cutoff in terms of how old vintage that you would acquire? Yeah. So I, I, I want to, first of all, nothing is ever absolute with me. I wish it was. I would like to say we really don't want to buy anything older than 2000. But that, that deal in Bradenton is a 70s product. It's block construction. I mean, it is not going anywhere. Got great floor plans. We just renovated it. it and the Bradenton is just blowing up. If you haven't been there, it's just unbelievable. We just last month, we took 30 applications in January. I mean, that's just crazy kind of demand. So I, I prefer to stick with newer, 2000 and newer, but that doesn't mean I won't look at older stuff. Now the age is becoming more important because of the insurance. That's really what's driving the bus right now in the state of Florida. Why is Bradenton still? booming when I think, you know, infinitely better than me because you're in it every day. I think Mm -hmm. there are certain markets in Florida where there's been rent contractions 
but Bradenton is still Bradenton is still going incredibly well. And yeah, I have. I stopped through there a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago there, because we were spending some time there. But what, why are they doing so well? You know, pe- people just want to live there. I mean, it, what, what's happening in Florida is as the markets, rents and, and pricing goes up and housing costs go up in a market, people just start to move out of that market. And so Tampa, they're moving south, they're moving north. That's what they're doing. Bradenton just happens to be in the way. And so, the, you know, it, it is less expensive than Tampa. So people are just generally moving there. There's just a lot of demand drivers in, in Bradenton that, that continue. I will tell you, we're not, we're not actually experiencing a lot of rent contraction. We're experiencing a little softness in, say, Tallahassee. There's just not, it's just a smaller town. There's not as many demand drivers as there are in other parts of the state. But we're, you know, we're not, re, we're, we're seeing rent, rent growth clearly slow. We're just not seeing a lot of retracement right now, right? And so maybe it's, we're just lucky. I, I don't know. I mean, we try to run a really tight ship, so it may have something to do with it. But do, do you think you are outperforming the, Average, and then when I, you know, a couple minutes ago said that rents are contracting in Florida, that's a very broad brush statement it that is. I made. So maybe it, it, maybe it isn't even correct, or do you think maybe there's, you know, some truth to it? Your port, but you're just your portfolio is yeah. is outpacing the average. You think, or well, I think it has to do with selection and markets and submarkets. So you're, I think you're probably right. There are markets in Florida where it is probably contracting some. But when we buy, we this is one thing I've learned over the years, you really have to pay attention to the diversity of your demand drivers. You need to be in a decent neighborhood, right? You need to make sure there's not massive crime and and you're not at, you know, the lower the income, the harder it is for people to make it from day to day. So, if we get good diversity on our on our demand drivers and we're just in an area that demand just so far outstrips supply, even if that area slows down, we still have that demand supply imbalance. Now, remember, I spent 10 years operating in Cleveland, so I know what the flip looks like. I know what the opposite of that looks like, and it's really hard when you don't have as much demand as you do supply. But we, we're not having that in any of the markets that we're in Florida. I, if, if people are having those retracements right now, I think it is mostly because they were too aggressive uh, with their business plan. They're, they're not implementing their business plan as effectively as they could. And so they're having to lower rents in order to maintain occupancy. That's, that's when I see it the most. Other than, say, Tallahassee, that is our softest market. There's just not as much demand there. I mean, it's not Tampa. People aren't yearning to, to live in, in Tallahassee like they are in, in Tampa. But it's slow and steady. I'm going to ask an obvious question, but maybe there's something here that isn't obvious. When you talk about diversity of demand drivers, my mind goes to you know employment, population growth, yep. supply demand imbalance, submarket, you know the right product. Am I leaving anything out? Yeah, the, probably the the most important thing is that we don't want to rely on a single industry or a single employer. For example, I wouldn't want to buy next to an Arab military base. Not that I don't like military people, I love them. But one stroke of the pen by Congress and your life changes. They deploy all those people, they close down the base, now you're toast, right? Same thing buying next to Disney or buying you know, right next to a single employer. You'll get that in Jacksonville, you'll get it near McDill, you'll get it near Disney. 
that, that's what I mean by diversity. I want to get as many different employers from as many different industries as I can so that if one industry or one employer has a problem, I still have plenty of other places to go to get those residents. I got it. It's a diversity of employment. That's exactly I, right. Yeah. I, I it's critical. It. And if you see the people that struggled during COVID, it was they were dependent. They're first of all in in the lower income neighborhoods. And the the second thing that you could layer on top of that is you did that near Disney. I mean, those those people really struggled during COVID, right? So they broke two of our rules. And because of that, you know, they paid a heavy price, I'm sure. When was, and just remind me, it's been a couple years. I should have listened to the, our last episode. <laughs> I didn't, guilty as charged. So remind me, when was your foray into Florida and, and why did you do it? Yeah, about 15 years ago. So we originally grew, the company started in Cleveland. It was me and uh, some of the early deals with just me. And then I partnered up with a gentleman who we just did partners together, did deals together. He was an attorney, super great guy. He's now retired. Uh, we still actually have one deal together. But about 15 years ago, I thought, man, we're doing pretty well here in Cleveland, but it's really, really hard. Well, I wonder what it would be like if I actually went to a market where everybody wanted to be. So that's when I decided, I know that's a, a, kind of funny, but I'm not trying to diss Cleveland, but clearly people want to live in Tampa. They just did. So I I literally got out of plane, went to Tampa, and just began that very long process of meeting brokers, touring deals, helping them take me seriously. That's the challenge when you go to a new market like Florida. There's plenty of money in Florida. And here comes this guy from from Cleveland. Like, who is he and why should we care? You know, fast forward 15 years, we continue to plug along. We continue to to deliver for all the brokers when we buy and, and take care of them when we sell. And you know now we're super networked. So 15 years ago, that's why I did it because I wanted demand to exceed supply, and I wasn't wrong. I can't. I could never do in Cleveland what I've done in Florida. There's no way. So in '09, let's say it's 15 years ago, hid you disposed of all of your property in Cleveland at that point, or did you still have yeah. some? No, we still had some. We still had some. It took me. I didn't actually buy in Florida until 2015. So it. Unfortunately, I went through a divorce right before the financial crisis. So it was important to me that I devote as much of my time as I could to my kids because they were young. I wanted to make sure that, you know, they were okay through the process. And I mean, you just generally don't buy assets when you're going through a divorce. That's just a bad idea. But during that time, I continued to get to know Florida and try to understand it. And coming out of that uh, recession, we then finally we're able to start making offers and and finally nailed one in 2015. Now, the assets that we did have, I don't remember exactly which ones we had. I know we had Van Aken Crossing. We held that for quite some time through that process. You know, what's real what I'm really proud of is we never lost a dime of investor money through that process. That that was uh, for for me it was a really big deal. I really understood what happened there. I understand why it happened and, you know, it it shapes today the way I manage debt. To, the, to this day, it's, it, you, know, you, you remember those lessons when you watch people going down around you left and right because they unfortunately just didn't have any flexibility with their debt maturity and it came up at the wrong time. You should be proud of that. So back to, and I don't, need, I don't know why I, I'm curious, but I am. When would you say the, the last property was disposed of that you guys had and 
in, in yeah, it was Van Aken Crossing was the last one. It was April right before COVID. I remember closing April, whatever year. I think that was 20 or 19, whichever one. I forget now. I tried to forget <laughs> yeah. when it was. But yeah, we sold it going into COVID. Got it. What would you say, like, I, I guess, looking back on, you know, your experiences as, as an operator in Cleveland, what, were you, what would you say were key lessons from kind of that, that experience? Yeah. Wow. There were so many. I mean, back then I was, I was, and I still am learning the business. We learn every day, but back then it, it when you're, things were really tight in Cleveland. What happens, what has always happened in Cleveland, and I, I don't pay attention to it much anymore, but you have rising costs and you don't have the ability to move rents. When you don't have that ability, your, your P&L is getting squeezed. You're getting squeezed on the bottom with expenses and you're getting squeezed on the top because you can't move rent. You can't pass it along to other folks, you know, to the renters, to the, to the residents. So that taught me how to really run lean, how to really nail down your business plan and make sure that you're super flexible and just, you know, doing all the right things at all the right time. That's, those are the biggest lessons I learned in Cleveland. Because if I, if I can figure out how to keep a property full in Cleveland, I stands the reason I should be able to do it in Florida. And I'm not wrong. It, it is a lot easier. In Cleveland, I had to steal it from the guy next door. I had to provide better service, pretty easy pricing. And basically, every, in Cleveland, they would hop around getting a free month from property to property. And in Florida, it's just completely different. There's a people, there's people lining up at the door to move in. I don't have to steal them from the guy or gal next door. What's better service? What do you mean, what's better service? Well, you said you have to, to keep them in Cleveland. You need to provide better service. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You need to treat people like people. So many, a lot of times what happens when you're managing property, especially owner operators, and you're talking about smaller properties, I don't know, they, they tend to kind of lose sight of the fact that you're in a service business. You're taking care of somebody's home. And, you know, we always just held that in extremely high regard and people appreciated that, right? People would, you know, maybe leave because somebody offered them a free month, but more often than not, they'd come back. Why? Because nobody was fixing things, you know, just the regular, just obvious levels of service. This business, when I say this business, I mean the landlord business has always just blown my mind at how non-service focused they have been especially in the smaller and the, you know, the B minus C properties. I, I don't understand it. it. It just seems obvious that you could do so much better on the service side. That's why I, part of the reason I think we've always excelled. Wow. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if people just get jaded, you know, dealing with that they segment do. of the population and, you know, and people are BSing them or whatever. I shouldn't project. Yeah, you know, under that situation. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, be careful with that. But but right, it, right. it is people. People just want to be treated well. They, right. they just do. And what happens? See, when you're when you're on the management side of this business, I mean, you're constantly getting beat up. They they aren't paying the rent. You got to fix this. You didn't fix that. You know, wh- whatever. You have to evict people. I mean, it's a rough business, and it can take its toll on you. So what you 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 hit it right on the head, Roger. When you said they get jaded. Owners get jaded. They they suddenly get so aggravated with the people that are aggravating them that they kind of treat everybody the same way in their in their response. And that's where I think they make a big mistake. I've always told our people, guys, I personally think we are in one of the easiest business businesses on planet Earth to compete. We just are. And all you have to do is just treat people like you would want them to treat you. 
And if you do that, I mean, you're, you're going to be head and shoulders above everybody else in the business. Mm. Wow. And that's true in Florida as well. Yeah. I, I, we, you know, we like to think it just happened in Glebe. No, it, it happens everywhere. I don't, I don't understand it, but it does. Well, a good friend of mine used to say your competition are your best allies. Yes. So, so there it is. <laughs> um, how You're do right. you deal to bringing it up to now with your portfolio? What does your portfolio look like approximately? Num- you know, number of doors, whatever you're comfortable you know, conveying. And then how are you handling yeah. management? Yeah, sure. So we, we, are kind, we do some third-party management. We've kind of trimmed that off actually quite a bit. We've trimmed about 1,000 units off our third-party management. We're focused on growing our portfolio. So probably in total between third-party and owned, we probably have 1,600, 1,700 units right now. We probably own about half of that. Half of that is owned. And, you know, we're continuing to, to plug along and hopefully build, build assets in our own portfolio. We have not historically been unit builders. You know, a lot of people just, they want to add units and more units and more units. And it depends on the deal, right? You're here to make money. So if it's an older deal, we tend to not hold it as long because eventually you're going to be sorry you continue to hold it. Newer stuff, we prefer to hold longer. So it just depends on the deal, right? What's important is when you bring investors into a deal, they want to make money. You need to adjust your business plan to the property and make sure that that deal makes money. And oftentimes that means you got to sell and move on because, you know, leave some for the next guy, give a reason for the next guy or gal to buy the property, but just don't hang on to a property too long. Okay. Clarification. You said, you know, 16,700 doors thereabouts. And you mm-hmm. said you, you own half. So mm-hmm. are you third party? I'm confused. Are you? Are yeah, you yeah. Mad? We do some third party. I see. So yeah, yeah. So we have done third party. We, when I say trimmed about a thousand units, I mean, we, we parted ways with about a thousand units of our third party just because they weren't good matches. That's all. Just didn't make sense for us to continue to manage it. Third party management's a rough, rough, rough business. And so we would rather focus on, uh, you know, our own thing and, and do what we do. We do still have some third party clients. So they're some wonderful people. I mean, I'll stick with them as long as they want because they're just good, solid people and, and we enjoy our relationship with them. So we just really are hesitant to bring on new third party work. Okay. And so out of the 1700, whatever it is, roughly 50% of that is stuff that you guys own currently. Exactly. Okay. All yep. right. So what, what I'm gleaning from that, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to size this up. It sounds like you're not trying to, you know, get to, you know, 10,000 doors, come hell or high water. You're one foot in front of the other. You want to, you know, you want to mitigate a lot, a lot of risk and just make sure your investors are taken care of and you're not really, right. you're just not really pushing the envelope out of a, out of a, out of a comfort zone and especially the way the market has been. I shouldn't yeah, put yeah. words in your mouth, but that's, yeah, that's, no, that's a question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right. So look, will we like to have more properties? Yeah, we'd like to do more deals, but we're not going to do deals unless they make sense. And we're not going to allow a singular focus on, I don't know, X number of units, right? We are, are, my personal goal is to get to 2 billion in real estate. That's going to be a hard goal to reach because I'm not going to hold properties that we shouldn't hold. I'm going to sell them. So that means you're going to have some, some churn, right? In your portfolio. And that's okay. If I buy a seventies deal, I, I really don't want to hold that for 15 years. I, I just, especially in Florida, I just don't want to do that. 
So that what's important here, especially when you're using other people's money and you have investors, is the you need to do what's right for that deal and put your own interests secondary. You really do, right? It's great that I can I can hold that you that property longer, but is it the right thing to do? If it is, we'll hold it. Arbors of Garden Grove is a great example in Winter Haven. I mean, we've held that thing now. It's eight years. Everybody's got their money back. We've distributed almost double their money back, and it continues to cash flow. Well, there's no way on earth you, and it's a newer product. No reason to sell that, right? But an older property, I wouldn't want to hold for eight years. I, I just wouldn't because you're the longer you hold those older assets, the more you're kind of rolling the dice and hoping and praying that. You know, you don't have a, a significant repair bill and things like that. It just becomes harder to control the expense. On to the acquisition market, right? Which mm-hmm. you've you alluded to a couple times. Hey, are you starting to see cracks? You know, price, so you're starting to see buyers make concessions. Part A, the question part B is, do you think there will be more price concessions? Yeah. So what's happening... There's a lot going on right now that's making that gap smaller, buyer-seller expectation gap. First of all, rates are coming down a little bit. So that gives the buyers an opportunity to get closer to seller's need, you know, the number they need. Now, sellers, on the other hand, are getting squeezed because the only reason you would really want to sell right now is because you have to, right? And what, what causes you to have to? Number one, you didn't, you're in a bridge loan and you did not generate enough new cash flow to cover a refinance and get yourself out whole. You might have a rate cap coming due that's going to require a huge investment to put another one in place to extend the bridge loan. So when I think of people that are seller on the seller side, they're struggling because sometimes they didn't implement their business plan the way they should. So that that failed, the execution failed. Could be interest rates are moving against you. It could be that the rate cap is expiring. It could be that you simply just have a loan maturity that you're dealing with. So it's those things, unless it's a business plan execution problem, the properties generally aren't distressed. It's the sellers and the financial side of it that's distressed. It's not the actual property. Now, sellers, the the closer they get to that date that they need to fix their problem, whether it's a rate cap or, you know, a whether the interest is just eating them alive and, and the bridge lenders saying, look, you got to figure this out. The closer that gets, the more flexible they become. And with interest rates coming down a little bit, it gives us a, the ability to get a little closer. We're not closed yet, but we're giving, it's, it's giving some sellers the opportunity to get out of a deal without it going back to the bank. You see, that's their goal. And, and, and in a lot of cases, they're just losing their equity. And it, it sucks. I mean, I've watched lots and lots of people do it, but it is what it is. I mean, you can't, you can't brief, you can't put financing in place right now at 4%. You just can't do it. It's more like six. So buyers can only afford to pay so much. And that is what it is. It's not that buyers are trying to be bottom feeders. It's buyers, you know, they're not going to put 60% down in order to, to make the deal work with a 6% loan. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So we have um, a bunch of factors coming together. It's going to be slow, but we're starting to see some cracks, right? We just are. Have you seen any deals go back to the banks? They're starting to. Yeah. What's the competition like? Has it, got, has it gotten thinned out? It has. Yeah, because lenders, lenders are also tightening. So there's a couple of things going on. Syndicators, 
we went to the fund model a few years ago. And so that means it's a blind pool fund model. So that means we go out and raise the money first. And then we go to the broker world and say, look, we've already raised the money. You don't have any equity raise risk with us. You know, we, we, your certainty of close with us is much, much higher. Compare that to syndicators who are generally less experienced than blind pool fund managers. And they need to raise the equity after they get the deal locked down and they only have a very short window. Those people are having challenges getting deals because sellers want to do business with people that they know can close, right? They have them already raised the money. They've got a fund, whatever it is, right? Maybe they're wealthy. So we're actually getting much better looks now than even we have before because of our certainty of close, right? They, sellers know they got to close. They need to close. They do not want this thing to fall out. So we get those deals. Whereas right now, most of the syndicators, especially the newer ones, they're just not getting the deals. And if they do get the deals, they're falling out because their equity is scared because, you know, they may be invested with other people who haven't gotten as much experience and, and the investors are a little concerned. So, mm. you know, when things tighten up, it's experience and certainty at close really, really, really matters. And we're, we're seeing that right now. Are there any markets in Florida that are less combed over? could be a secondary tertiary market that's growth and in, in where there could potentially be more opportunity than other markets or yeah i mean that's yeah the so the more tertiary the market the better chance anybody has but what happens is even guys like me you know i mean who would have thought arbors garden grove is in winter haven I mean, not exactly the mecca of florida right it's a little bitty town but growing like crazy so i would say if when you say less combed over, there are fewer buyers looking. And so the more tertiary market, the less competition there's going to be. So you just, so again, I go back to, if you're a syndicator, you have to set yourself apart from whatever competition you have. You just, and usually when, when we were syndicators, we had to do it with price. I mean, how else are you going to say, hey, I'm going to pay more, take a chance on me, right? That, that's what happens. But if we come in, now we're a known entity. We've closed with all the major brokerage firms. They know who we are. They know what we're going to do. They know we've already raised the money. See, it's really an unfair advantage. But that's right. It's taken me 15 years to get that unfair advantage. I'll take it. When you say differentiate with price, what, is it, what does that mean? Yeah. So imagine you're going to sell a property in Florida. Even now, there might be five to 10 offers come in on that deal. Well, if nine out of the 10 are syndicators, but one of them is a fund manager. Guess what? We, we just moved to the top, right? So now, and that's just what's happening. In our last fund, even when it was still pretty competitive, the first deal we put in that fund, never saw the market. The second and third deal, we were not the highest bidders. Why? Because we had a certain deal closed. It really is it. important because if the syndicator can't raise the money, if the syndicator, you know, there's generally less experience they don't close. They try to retrade. When that property comes back out to the market, now it's a mess. It, it's tainted, right? I call it tainted. And everybody like me, well, why is it back out on the market? Now there's a story. And now it's really hard for that seller to get even what close to where we were at before, right? So they kind of take a chance. And, and that's how syndicate, that's how we got, we got, we got plenty of deals that way. I mean, we had to set ourselves apart and we did it with price. We still made money. But we, we had to say, look, we're going to pay more. Trust us, we're going to close. 
And after a while, brokers believe you and you have to do that less and less. Now we don't have to do it at all. We just have to be somewhat competitive with our price. What I hear, not necessarily pertaining to Florida, but certainly Texas, this is somewhat anecdotal, but strong anecdotal, that like in terms of market distress and loan Mm -hmm. maturities coming due and mostly newer sponsors not able to grow NOI for Mm -hmm. all the reasons, higher lower occupancy, higher expenses, all that stuff we all know about. Hitting class C much harder than any other. Do you see that happening or, or do you see that could be happening in Florida as well in the opportunities for, for a heavier value add? Do you think that's a possibility? Yes. Yes. That's typically where newer investors will start out. Newer investors don't usually get the A deals. They just don't. I mean, like me, I started out with C, C minus stuff in Cleveland and that's not uncommon. You know, a lot of new people in the business. They, they don't necessarily recognize the neighborhood for what it is. And when they buy and then they realize there's bigger problems than they understood. It, yes, it's happening in Florida. It, it just is. And that aggravates the area because what you need is experience then, right? You, you can fix some of those problems, but you really have to have very focused energy, very focused efforts, and you have to know exactly what to do to combat the situation. And it's different depending on what the situation is. But if you don't have the experience on the management team, I mean, they're going to try to fix it, but there's a smaller chance that they'll be doing the right things. So you've been like really disciplined, right? And you've, you've kissed a lot of frogs and you've, you oh, yeah. finally found that deal in, in St. Petersburg. But mm-hmm. I'm just wondering like, because you do have experience in Class C, You're, you are not new to it. You have the cap- capabilities right now to deal mm-hmm. with that. So are you not seeing a lot of deals that pencil right now in Class C? Yeah. What? So we really hold the line on neighborhood. It, it, uh-huh. We're we're not gonna we're not gonna sacrifice neighborhood because no matter what I do to my property, if it's a neighborhood issue, I can't get good people to live there. They just won't do it. Doesn't matter what I think. This isn't a discrimination thing. It's, it's not a stereotype. It's just, it is a fact of life that, you know, the leasing agent answers the phone. Hi, where are you located? Oh, okay. Never mind. Click. You don't even get a chance to introduce to say your name. And, and that's what prospective renters do. That's just what happens. So by making sure that we don't go to those neighborhoods, I mean, that is the first level of discipline. So. If we can find Class C stuff that is not in those kind of neighborhoods, of course we would consider it. But the brokers all know they make fun. I, I said, why are you sending me this deal? You know darn well that I, don't, I won't do this neighborhood. They're, they're still going to send it to me and try to convince me that it isn't what I think it is. But that, that's all right. We'll be better off because now when I do improve the property, guess what? They'll come because right. when they ask, where's it located? Oh, okay. All right. That's not bad. And they'll come and see us and then they'll lease from us. See, that's what happens. And that's why the neighborhood's so important. Hmm. Okay. It's really what happens on the ground. It's, right. no, it's not even hard stuff. It's just, it's what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess to, to manage those properties, you know, you just have to have a whole... In my mind, it's almost like that's... All, you have to only do that, specialize in it, and have, a complete, have in-house management that... I talked to a gentleman a couple of days ago that just does C class and he mm-hmm. does things like he'll give a free unit 
to a local policeman. Oh, sure. He, yeah. Yeah, he, he, yep. he, but but the whole the whole business is around managing that. And then, you know, to him the returns are worth it. And that's just a personal yeah. choice he makes. And he's a heavy value at guy, but you have to know what you're doing. That's um, right. Yeah. 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 I, we I, can do it. I, I yeah. mean, I we can do it. It's just it's a battle. It's a battle I choose not to wage any longer because I just know, see, those deals should cash flow. And in order to make them cash flow, you have to really manage them well. But what you're giving up and the reason we're in this business, we get the cash flow. That's all great. But the upside is what we're here for. Yeah. Because when we move rents, when we improve resident quality, right? When we move rents two or $300 on a 100-unit building, I mean, we've made a massive difference to the value of that property. That's, the, that's why you're doing this business. It's for that appreciation. Right, you're not going to get rich off the cash flow. It, it'll, it's nice, and that's all good. But the real payday is when you, because you've moved rents, hopefully, and and NOI is greater than when you bought it. Somebody should be willing to pay you more for it. And that's the real payday in this business. I guess you've learned a couple things, Ken. As it as, 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 <laughs> as, as, as it turns out, okay. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, that that's the sense I have. When you go see a new property, what percentage of the units do you walk? Initially, I yeah. do the broker tour and I ask questions like, is this representative of what I'm going to see when I do my unit by unit walkthrough? Yes or no. I'll make note of those answers because you know, you're not going to tour 100 units before you even have an LOI accepted. This is not going to happen. So you have to trust that the broker is not lying to you and and then later on, when you go do your due diligence, should you be selected, you know, you have to hold them at his word. You said the roofs were fine. I didn't inspect them. Okay, I expect them to be fine. And you, know, you just ask very specific questions like that. Then go under contract. And when you do your DD, you'll find out if it was really true. And, you know, brokers don't, especially the brokers we deal with, they, they don't. They're not trying to lie to you. They know you're going to figure it out anyway, but they only know what they're being told. Yeah. Right? They don't oftentimes get up on roofs and inspect. They don't, they don't do that. They'll ask the owner, how old are the roofs? They'll do a permit search. And based on that, they'll disclose what's going on. So they do their best. And, th- and that's how you handle it. And then do d- that's why you have DD. In, in, in DD, do you walk all the units? Yes. You know, I, I saw a recent deal of yours and I think it's the one in St. Pete. You've got a good Split. I think it's. I think it's really fair based on everything I've seen. I think it's a six, six pref, eighty twenty. Correct. And I don't. I don't think there's a waterfall. Correct. That's me it. Wrong. It's a six pref. You get your capital back. You get your six percent. Then it's eighty twenty. Okay. When what is your philosophy around splits? Why Why do you do it the way that you do it? Simple. Yeah. It's simple. When you actually do the math on these really complicated waterfalls, it, it doesn't. It, it really isn't that significant. So now when I'm having a conversation with an investor about investing with us, I, you know, say you're on a 30 minute call with them. You don't want to spend 28 of those minutes trying to help them understand this crazy <laughs> waterfall that you put in place. I mean, that's, they're, they're confusing to begin with. Just keep it simple. You're, I, I just, you want to talk about the deal. You want to talk about why someone should trust you with their money. Those are the conversations you want to have not trying to figure out how you have baked in some multi-layer approach to how you're going to make money as a sponsor, more money than them, right? I, I, I don't know. We're going into the deal together. If I do a good job, I get a bonus. It's that simple. And how do you argue with that? 
That's that's why we do it the way we do it. You know, when I, when I do see, and it, it seems like most of them, there is a waterfall. I know. The, the way I interpret it, and it doesn't mean I wouldn't do those deals or haven't or aren't. Right. Sure. But, but it really does seem to me like the attitude, and that's a poor choice of word, but I'm not so sure it is such a poor choice of words. It almost feels to me like from the sponsors, a, hey, man, we get you up to a 15% IRI. 15% IRR, which is fantastic, by the way. I totally it get it. Yep. Then I, the sponsor, should be entitled to half above that. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. But on the other hand, it feels like an attitude. So that, that's, that's all. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hear you. No, um, I, I hear you. I, I, why, I don't want... It, is it going to be that much money? No. I mean... These people are taking, look, here's, here, now you're getting into, you know, the way I feel inside about how we treat our investors. And that is they're taking a risk with you, right? And they're relying on you to do a good job, but their money is still at risk. And I don't know. I just feel like it, if, if it's a home run, let them run the bases with you. Like they shouldn't have to stop at second. You know what I mean? That's just what I think. Well, I don't know that I'll ever change. And I'm telling you, these, these waterfalls get so complicated. People, you're just giving them reasons to say, well, wait a minute. Now now they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to figure out how much money they're going to make versus you're going to make. Like It's just 80-20. Just keep it simple. That's, that's what we're probably always going to do. I never say absolutes anymore, but it, it just seems so easy to just do that. Because if you do a really good job, that 20% should be a big number. Does it need to be a little bit more? Probably not. Hmm. I don't know. Um, I just don't think it's worth the brain damage. That's just my opinion. I respect that. What would you say are kind of uh, key mistakes you see uh, other other sponsors that are newer to the space make? They try to do 60-40, 70-30. I meant broader than the split. Uh, the, oh, just oh, well, I mean, they, they fee up the deals, all, all that. If you're Now, if you're, you know, it, it's hard to get 2 or 3% off the top on a $20 million. I mean, that's a lot of money. Come on, that's a ton. We that's why we keep our fees low. Are you talking about just in general? Yeah, in general. No. Yeah, I should yeah, have done a better job of transitioning that. Yeah, yeah. What what the the number one thing that I think people don't understand when they get into this business? If I were to ask you about any business that you're in, you're going to know it inside now, and because of that, you're going to be really successful, right? Because you know all the little details, you know all the little things that you need to do to be successful in whatever business you're in. Oh. Why is it that people treat apartments differently? I don't understand that. If you're going to be in this business, you should be in the business. You should understand all the little details. And so many people think they can do it by operating it 20, 30,000 feet. They don't need to dive into the details. They don't need to understand that. Oh, the third party manager will understand that. Well, no, you're, you're buying a business and you need to do the work, the necessary work to figure it out. That's why we have our whole investor education platform, because people, when they fail, it is usually because they think of this business at, at 30,000 feet and then at the details eat them alive, right? They don't do a real rent survey. They just run a CoStar report or a Yardy report and say, well, CoStar said that my rents run to market. Well, they didn't pay attention to, well, all the properties above you I have washer and dryers and tons of amenities and this and that. And your property has none of those things, right? So they don't do that detail work. That is the number one thing that people don't 
do. They don't get it. As soon as I introduce them to that, all of a sudden, it's like light bulbs go on because now they know, oh, I, I really understand this business now. Now I can go forward, make offers with confidence and go into this thing, right? That, that's the number one thing. And when they don't do it, their, the error rate is much, much, much higher as you would expect it to be. So that, that's the thing that you can tell I get worked up about because they, I, they're, they're losing people's money. <laughs> I don't want to see them lose people's money. That's not cool. Yeah. So that's why I want them to do the work. Not cool. Not um, cool. What would you say is the biggest mistake you made over all these years and what did you learn from it? Yeah. Well, there's, I've, <laughs> I've made a bunch. <laughs> I, I would say the first thing is just not getting out of my own way. You know, just it, people just, I've learned, I've limited myself. I'd be m- much further along had I just not believed that I could be there. It's a it's a fact of life. I think most people do it to themselves. In terms of operationally, probably the biggest. Well, it was my very first deal. See, so back to my very first deal. Let's talk about understanding the business. I bought that property. I had spent basically my last penny. I borrowed my half of the down payment on my own equity line, right? So now I was getting applications. They were terrible, terrible credit reports. And I thought the reds were four fifteen. I trust me. I know this story well. And I was beside myself. I was working at Deloitte thinking, oh my goodness, I just bought this place and now I can't get good people to move in. What in the heck am I going to do? Well, somehow I ran across this lady. Her name's Karen. I won't use her last name. She was with Shaker Heights. And she said, Ken, let me meet you at the property. I'm going to help you. I said, oh my God. Yes. Awesome. I went there. She said, Ken, your kitchens are too dated. They look terrible. She said, you need to build it. They will come. I promise you. I said, well, what do I need to do? She said, spend five grand on this kitchen and make it nice. And I remember my response. I said, Karen, you don't understand. I just spent every dime I had to buy this thing. There is, where, where do you think I'm going to get five grand? She goes, I don't know, but you better find it. Because if you don't, you're going to continue to have this problem. So I charged five grand on my credit card, did all, you know, made my kitchen nice. My rent went from $4.15 to $5.99. All of a sudden, the application quality went through the roof and life moved on. So what was the lesson there? The lesson there was not having a clue when I got into the business that really the way you make money in any business is by adding value. And that's what I did. She convinced me to add value. I did that. All of a sudden, my rents went up considerably. The resident quality improved. And then the rest is history. But that, that is probably the biggest mistake I made early on. It's just not understand. Everybody thinks you're just going to buy it and it'll just go up over time. You don't really understand why. But you do now, or at least I do now. Mm. You know, these have all been very softball questions. Are you ready for a hardball question? Yeah, please. All right. All right. Okay. Here's what it Let's is. Let's see I'm what te- you got. I'm teasing you. <laughs> Let's see most, what you got. Most people have no idea what to do with this question because it has nothing to do with real estate. Okay. It's a complete non sequitur. What is something people don't know about you? Ooh, what don't they know about me? Hmm. You know, most of my. The stuff I do out there on internet and social media is business related. So I would probably say the, on the personal side, my wife and I go to Disney all the time, not to go to Disney, but go to Epcot and hang out at the resorts. Because when with our kids, we took our kids there a lot. So it helps, you know, remember the time when the kids were at home, that, and we love doing cruises with our family because again, it, we're, we're, we like to be a family. Kids are all grown on cruises. You can do whatever you want. Each person can do their own thing and everybody's happy. So, you know, I don't talk much about those two things, but uh, those are probably two things that people don't, don't know about me. 
All right. Fair enough. Okay. Ken, how does one uh, find out more about what you're doing, invest, yeah. talk, learn, what have you? Yeah. Go to kripartners.com. That's it. We have, when you get to our site, you're going to try to figure out which way you should go. Are you the investor kind of person looking for passive investments? Or are you the kind of person who wants to do your own deals? If so, we can help you figure out how to do that. We, you know, we have the whole investor education side, but start at kripartners.com and then let's jump on the phone and figure out how we can help whoever be successful in whichever direction they want to take the real estate thing. Because, you know, proof that you need to be on the real estate game. I think you know that. You just have to figure out how it's going to fit for you and we can help them do that. Got it. Fantastic, Ken. I, I hope uh, we don't let as much time go by before we do round number three. Uh, you know, fantastic talking to a guy who uh, got started out with properties in Shaker Heights, Ohio, near and dear to my heart. And yep. I look forward to talking to you soon. Fantastic. Say hello to your son for me. I, w- I absolutely will. Okay. All right. Thanks, sir. Yep. Yeah.